Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting of the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over racing this week. Joining me in the studio, I've got my regular fans, Louise Torres and Richard Uden. How are we doing, fellas? It's very good, thank you. It's going. It's going. Yep, that's all I expect from you, Louise. You're never <laughs> too happy, never too sad. Mediocre Louise, we love you, man. So we also have... <laughs> I get, it's better to be neutral than South. Or there you, go. A, there you yeah. go. All right. So I am very excited for this week's show because I've got a couple of special guests here. I've got Stephanie Throckmorton and her husband, Bill Throckmorton, and they are the owners of the Top Gun Racing IndyCar team, and they will be competing at the, um, the IndyCar race at the Brickyard Weekend coming up here in a couple of weeks with their driver, R.C. Enerson. So, Stephanie, Bill, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be on here with you guys. And uh, sounds like it might be a lot of fun tonight. Interesting. Now, you guys initially had hoped to hit the track in 2020. You, 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 had, you had big plans. And like a lot of people in a lot of different industries, their plans were put on ice and shelf due to COVID-19 shutdowns and quarantines and these sort of things. So you guys kind of had to take a step back and get back to, uh, to 2021, try to get going. You guys were able to participate in some preseason testing. Um, you, uh, you were at Indianapolis, uh, unfortunately came up a little short in the last row shootout. You had to go up against guys like Will Power um, <laughs> in the last row shootout. <laughs> but, but now coming up here in a couple of weeks, um, You'll be taking RC to the um, the Indianapolis road course uh, where you'll absolutely barring anything happen happening to the car. You'll absolutely get a start. So I, I guess you guys are pretty excited. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we're, we're basically we, we've been getting ready for the road course. Um, we leave Monday. Everybody is heading out to Sebring and we're doing a test on Wednesday and we should be back by Friday and then we'll, uh, basically be prepping and getting ready for the speedway. Okay. Now I know that uh, I've been reading up on you guys here. So I know that uh, Stephanie, you were a track announcer for a, for a local bull ring, which is pretty cool. So you're, you've been in racing a, a long time and, and Bill, I found out that you've come from a racing family. Now me, myself, I love racing because I had that cool uncle who was a race car driver. 
And Bill, you also had a cool uncle, and your uncle was Grant King of Grant King Racers, uh, the guy who he was a car builder, fabricator, um, team owner. Um, they you ran the, the Kingfish chassis at Indianapolis. Uh, he also sprints and midgets, uh, a lot, a lot of stuff, very active during the early USAC days. And then your aunt Doris, Doris King was pretty much the, I guess the team manager, she took care of the finances, the sponsorship, those sort of things. So, uh, is, is, is that what kind of, uh, got you that love of race and having that, uh, that cool uncle? Well, yeah, I mean, basically I, I'm growing up in it. I've never ever been away from racing so from the day i was born um you know i always remember being around race cars and and grant pretty much raised me um i lived with him and i worked for him and i drove for him and uh you know we still doris is still alive grant passed away in 99 doris is still alive and and uh it's kind of funny because a lot of people um nowadays that new grant doors call stephanie and i grant doors because we're kind of a lot alike <laughs> um you know so it's uh it's definitely kind of interesting but the more i think about it we we are a lot alike you know like grant doors so it's interesting anyway yeah that's pretty neat now now stephanie um you and i got to talking over um the sponsorship campaign you're doing which was based on uh, Doris King idea from 1975, the spirit of Indiana, where she sold small blocks of sponsorship on the car. You guys have every, everything from uh, just individuals, uh, local businesses, Facebook groups um, that are put, putting their name on there. So it's going to be pretty neat to see, you know, just uh, that grassroots and just, you know, for me, you know, the, the little bit I donated with my friends that pulled money, I'm just proud to say, Hey, that's, that's our, that's our group on an Indy car in a race pretty neat to say that so but well it, it's it, i i myself i think it's really neat man you know kudos to lead indycar that group i mean they've reached out and, oh my gosh in a matter of a day you guys went absolutely nuts and, and pulled everything <laughs> together and i mean that that's what it's all about you know we're uh we're, we're regular people that are running an IndyCar. We'll talk to you. You can come up. You can call us. You can come over and see our shops. You know, um, we enjoy the race fans, but we deal with race fans every day. And I think it's just a great way um, for a lot of people to be able to uh, get their name or, or be on an IndyCar because most of the time you couldn't do that for the spot for 50 grand. So we're, we're making that area where it's, it's available to different people. And some of the people we've talked to that have done it, you know, they're just, they're so excited and we're excited to have them on there. And Stephanie has set up one of the days um, before the Grand Prix, I think that Tuesday, what's the Wednesday, date on August. Wednesday, August 11th, where anybody that's uh, got a brick, it's going to come by. We're going to have RC here. We're going to show them around um, the shops and, and they can get a picture right there with RC, the Indy car and their library on the race car, which I think is pretty neat nowadays because you won't you won't do that anywhere else. Yeah, racing is very, very corporate these days and very, you know, and, and some of these shops are very, very closed. You know, some some are you can look a little bit here and there, but, uh, you know, for, for the most part, unless you're unless you got some money or you're working in the sport, they don't want you in that garage. So it's right. just, just really neat that you, that you guys are offering this sort of thing um, to just, uh, you know, to pretty much fans, which is, you know, fans make the sport to begin with. 
So let's talk about your team a little bit. Uh, obviously, you're competing against, uh, you know, some some heavy hitters, Penske's, Ganassi's, guys like that, and you're doing so without a technical alliance, um, which is an uphill battle for sure. Uh, but what's what's the size of your team? How many how many folks are you are you employing right now? Well, there's uh, there's five full time people on the IndyCar team. Um, you know, Roy Wilkerson's our chief mechanic. Uh, uh, Bridget, we have a young lady that's our lead mechanic, and she's learning and, and she's doing well. She does our gearbox. Uh, Jim Thomas, he has helped me on my race cars for the last twenty something years. Um, we've got Dwight Brown. He was he's been an engineer for several teams, and uh, he does a wonderful job. You know, Stephanie and I will jump in and, and do everything that we can, and then we have a lot of. Uh, yeah, weekend warriors, you know, and uh, we do it on a, on, a, on a budget, but we're building and, and we actually have a lot of equipment, you know, uh, for, for where we started. Definitely, you know, we, uh, we're, we're building up. We're, we're working really hard at it and we're trying to get some larger sponsors and, and the whole goal is to run more and more races. Yeah, I guess. Are you eventually hoping to, uh, you know, build yourselves up to a full time, full season? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the goal. And, and you know, you, you want to run a full-time season and you want to build up to a second car. And we have a second car, but, uh, you know, a second team driver. And it just takes time and a lot of money and it's a lot of work, you know. And we, and we still, basically, we run three businesses at the same time out of these buildings. <laughs> when do you guys sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about your driver, R.C. Enerson, because uh, I, I think this kid is pretty darn talented. I, I, I thought he was phenomenal in, in the Formula 2000 series, and he was, he was pretty darn good in life. He's had a couple of IndyCar starts, um, and he's, he's shown some uh, tremendous promise. Um, and also, his, uh, his dad, Neil, has been very involved. I think Neil actually owned the lights team for a while. How's, how's RC working out for you guys? Is he enjo- as enjoyable to work with as I imagine that he must be? I can, I, all I can tell you is that kid, uh, I can't look for any kid his age. His demeanor, his uh, humbleness, his uh, talent is, goes a long way. But as a, as a uh, I guess, a motherly figure, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for him to be, I mean, I mean, I'm definitely old enough to be his mother. I couldn't ask any more for a kid on or off the track. Uh, unbelievable, but his talent is is clearly hasn't been seen yet. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, the the 500 effort was best that we could do in a 38 day turnaround, but we're only one mile off, one mile per hour off, and uh, very proud of that. Obviously, we wanted to start the race, but that kid uh, gave it all. Um, if you watch the telemetry, uh, we did everything to that car. Uh, we just need a little bit more um so i mean he's just he's just an all around good kid uh, he, he's not a prima donna by any means and and we actually made him take his pickup truck and, and a trailer and bring stuff back and we make him work right beside us so it's uh that's another rare deal cuz i don't think you'll see another indy car driver doing that you know so uh, good kid think the world of him his dad's a good guy um I like the kid. I like his talent. We went after him and, and we did a rare deal. You know, uh, we, the, the kid is pretty much, a, he's a hired gun. You, 
he's not coming in here and dropping two million dollars. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Now, is his, um, is, is Neil involved with the team as well, or, or is he just kind of there for support? Um, Neil really, he, he keeps off to his side and kind of stays out of it. And, and me and him are pretty good friends, you know, and, and he helps us out on a few things. But uh, all in all, I mean, Neil has, has brought RC along. RC's got a ton of talent. And I really want to build up and work with the young man. I don't blame now. Now, Louise, you've got a question on this uh, on this topic. Yeah, the question I had him was a follow up to what you said about RC being hands on with the car. It, do you feel like this day and age is a lost form in open wheel racing or just motorsports in general? Because it's gratifying <laughs> to hear that. Yeah, I mean it's rare. It really is, and uh, you know, RC gets the car. He understands it. Um, tech, technolo- technology, uh, wise, he's right there. He, he understands what our engineers are trying to do. He's just, he's, he's good to work with, you know, and that's rare. A lot of kids really don't, uh, have the knowledge yet that, to, to what it or takes or, or the language to be able to jump in and, and start working right off the bat. Yeah. And, and he's there. Yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 you know across every series. I mean, I've worked with a number of drivers that you just want to throttle them half the time because they've got this arrogance and this air about them that they just don't want to be there and they think they know better. And to hear some of the stories there that you 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 you're passing on there, it's fantastic to see there's a young kid out there that is prepared to do the due do his dues and, and you know put the hard work in and and earn the respect of the people around him because there's. You know, so some of the drivers I've worked with, you just, ugh, you know, it's just a waste of time. Yeah, and there's no need for that, honestly. No, no. And, you know, Everybody very, puts you their know. pants on the same way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Grant King Racers, the uh, the shop and museum. Uh, obviously, you've got you. You told me you restore a lot of the the old Kingfish chassis and the sprint midget cars uh there and you do have a bit of a museum there so talk to me a little bit about this shadow this this is open to the public is it not yeah we prefer that you give us a call or contact us um and that's simple i mean stephanie she's the pretty one and most people like talking to her or hanging out around her than than anybody else around here so i mean she's really good with it um we do a lot of customer cars we do a lot of the vintage indie cars uh, uh, events, and we we have customers that will go and run their cars for them and, and help them. Um, so yeah, we're 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 into the the racing history, and it's it's our daily lives. But um, I think right now we've got like twenty two cars in here, and there's only one car that's not a, a Grant King car. Um, we have everything from indie cars to midgets. Uh, sprint cars you name it and we actually have the very first car that grant built when he came to the states in idaho in 1962 before he went to work for rolla ballstead and, and then grant italian then started his own team in 1970 yeah now the the early kingfish cars that ones in the 70s were pretty much as i gather uh just reading some history oddly enough 1975 is just a little bit before my time just a little bit <laughs> you know, I started watching races, racing in about 78, 79, 
but mm-hmm. uh, but I guess the um, yeah, from what I'm reading, the uh, uh, the Kingfish cars were very similar and, and nearly every bit as good as like a Gurney Eagle. But well, they were, but, but you could get one for a whole lot less than a Gurney car. Well, I, I think back then Dan was selling his for 50 grand, which was a bunch back then. And and Grant claimed that he could build the same thing for six to eight grand. But th- those were our house cars in house here. And, uh, you know, they, they ran up front. You know, Tom Sneeble was driving for him when Penske hired him. Uh, Steve Chris Loft. Uh, yeah, he had some really good runs with them, and, and they were basically a, a Gurney Eagle copy, the Kingfishes were. And he did so well at it that Gurney, Dan Gurney couldn't keep up with all the spare wings and uprights and the spare parts. So he ended up buying a lot of the parts from Grant and for the Gurney Eagles. Oh, that's very interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was looking over the list of, of drivers that have driven either, you know, for uh, Grant King racers or, or driven the Kingfish cars. And it's just reads like a who's who of Indianapolis royalty. You know, Al Unser, Tom Sneva, like you said, um, I, I, I want to say Mario Andretti drove a Kingfish in the Pikes Peak Hill climb. Uh, he he uh, drove the Granitelli Grant King champ dirt car and, and uh, Grant and Mario were pretty good friends. And, uh, you know, along with Billy Foster back in the day and, and Billy's the gentleman that got killed, uh, in a stock car out of Riverside and Mario said he'd never have another race driver friend again, you know? So, uh, yeah, I've heard that story. Yeah. Now, Billy Foster, he was from Canada. Yes, sir. As was Grant King and, and Rolla Volstead, I believe. Well, Rolla was from Portland area. Okay. Um, but the, the great Northwest, it wasn't that far away. And a lot of those guys raced together with the camera series, Canadian American, racing series which dick simon came from you know the, all the snevas ran up there um, so yeah there, a lot of good racers came from the uh, great northwest absolutely now now richard you have you have a question or two yeah i it's um you know obviously you've got sort of the 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 sort of history there and the sort of um you know the, sort of the family sort of name to that i guess that's quite unusual these days, but I imagine that's something you're trying to preserve that sort of mentality and almost like old school way of doing things. Oh, most definitely. I, you know, we, we work hard at that and then Stephanie tries to tie everything into our race heritage from the shops and she does some really neat stuff, but um, you know, we run it, the race cars, we, there's no rule that we have to be like everybody else. And that doesn't mean that we can't be just as good. No. Um, and, and I tell you what, we have, we have uh, created or we have gathered a, a great fan base and, and we, we absolutely enjoy people and we enjoy the fan base and, and it makes you feel good because we're, we're not rich people. We just work really hard and it's something mm-hmm. we want to get back to. We had cars in the race from 1970 all the way to 83. Some years we had three cars in the race, some years two. And it was just something that Stephanie and I really, that was a goal for us to get back to the speed. Yeah, it's something that I guess I've seen, you know, being involved with all, you know, a number of different sort of ends of the spectrum and racing really, you know, the Formula One stuff is very, I'm trying to think of the best anemic in some ways, you know, there's no concept of you know, fan interaction. Yeah. You see it, but it's all publicized and it's all, you know, on social media, you know, you're, you've right. got, 
I mean, goodness me, you, know, you, you look at a Mercedes or a Red Bull, they must have 10 times the number of people working in marketing and PR than you have working on your whole project, you know. Right. Um, and then, you know, NASCAR is similar. You know, most teams will have more marketing and PR people than the will mechanics and engineers and the like. But, you know, IndyCar is one of those things that's always fascinated me because, it, it to, you know, to me it sort of sits in that, in that really nice balance of, you know, these are impressive machines. You know, these things, you know, the first time you see them, they'll take your breath away. You know, they'll make you sit up and take note. But also, you know, the drivers and the teams are, are, are very accessible and real people. And I, I just wish, and we talked about this on the show so many times, that, you know, the potential within in IndyCar is huge. And, you know, maybe if it did get bigger, it would lose that sort of, you know, innocence. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. All right. So after after the Grand Prix, do you have any any plans for uh, any of the other races this season? Well, right now, you know, we're trying to get enough sponsorship to, uh, you know, we've got everything covered for the Indy Grand Prix, and we're still trying to get, uh, you know, more sponsorship for that. But it it all depends on sponsorship and money on how many races we're able to run. Okay, and you guys are running a, a Chevrolet package. Is that correct? Yes. The Chevrolet is coming uh, tomorrow to start the engine that we got for the, for the road course. But I was just one of the things that uh, a lot of our, our sponsors and friends and, you know, just being a smaller team and people, you know, coming down to the shop, that's one of the things they get to see up close and, what they didn't realize before. Well, we let them, we let them interact right there with us. The, 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 you know, the, that's, that's the thing that I've seen. You know, these things, you know, steering wheels in these race cars are phenomenal things. Uh, you know, you, you often, uh, you know, consider these guys are almost like fighter pilots than, than race car drivers. I mean, that was, goodness me, going back, back 15 years ago when I first started in Formula One, that was my job was doing the steering wheels for, for the Honda team. And, Back then they were complicated, but you know, by modern standards, they're incredibly simplistic, and you know, it, it just really sort of puts into perspective what these drivers have to do these days. You know, you listen to them. Uh, I, I, I love listening to like the, the pure engineer to driver communication, just listening to them going through all the engine settings and the mode, you know, the diff settings and the brake, brake biases and balances that. You know, obviously, the engineers can predict and manage a lot easier than the drivers in real time, and uh, they're, they're fascinating things. They, they they really are. And the more people that get to see these things, and the more people that get hands on with them, I think it's better for the sport. You know, and I think that's where IndyCar can succeed. Is these things are very very complicated machines, and you know, NASCAR is going that way in terms of complexity, but the fan base resists it because they see it as evil and, you know, against the spirit of racing. But, you know, I really hope that, uh, that, that IndyCar can embrace these, these technologies and, and develop them. No, I agree. As I was going to say for, for both of you, when it comes to that, the engines, you prefer having them sent to you, like let them review how, explain to people how that system works, whatever you can mention on air like with chevy observing that kind of stuff 
Oh, Chevrolet is is great to to deal with. I mean, Rob Buckner's been good. Wayne, all their people there, you know, they they've helped us, and it it's been forty years or close, you know, since I've been around the IndyCar actual racing, running a team, and and being with a team daily. So, you know, I, I was back around it when we built everything from our own tubs to our own uprights, and and <laughs> we even, back in '79, we even designed and poured our own castings and developed our own engine, which was close to a Cosworth DFX. It was called the Orbidorfer. And uh, so it's a lot different now because you can't build and do all that like we did back then. But the, uh, the electronics and, and it's just so much more high tech on that end now than what it used to be. But, you know, when, when we get ready to go to a race like Monday, our engine was shipped in from a trucking company. They bring it down, you know, we do the install and then Chevrolet is going to be in town tomorrow. And I think they're probably going to go help somebody else fire up one engine. Then they'll come by here and we'll, we'll test all the looms and make sure everything's good to go. We'll fire it up. And, and then we will see them on Wednesday at Sebring for our test and they'll work right along with us, you know, and, and all of the, uh, computer or scoring stands that we use now on the backside it's set up you know for your your engine engineers uh, Chevrolet uh, for us and then we've got our engineers up there and then I stand and work with them but I mean uh, Dwight can measure everything from the arrow at all ends of the car you know we have the heat sensors it's it's incredible everything that you can read off these cars certainly it's truly fascinating to hear that now I have a question for you, Bill, as, as, and as an old timer, who's been in the sport uh, to watch it evolve. I, I mean, what are your, you know, a lot of uh, old timers I talk to are, Oh, they're not too thrilled with what they call a spec series. Yeah, and they, they, they miss the, the so-called innovation and, and the time with that. Although if you ask me, I think the, the competition right now is as good, if not better than it ever was during the, the age of, innovation so i mean what are your thoughts on uh, the the direction of the series right now and the fact that there's a common chassis and, and those sort of things you know i I've, I've seen both ends and i've been in the middle of both ends um you know and, and i enjoy both of them there, there's pluses and minuses to both but uh you know the, the series right now is very competitive you know there's uh gosh it was close i mean the, the speedway qualifying and when you have two Penske cars basically in the, the uh, final five qualifying line, you know, that, that means it's tough. There's a lot of people there that are capable of surprising you and winning. And, you know, I mean, Castro Nevis proved that. I, I don't think, you know, odds in Vegas were real high on that, but it was pretty neat to see. I thought that was pretty marvelous. Um, yeah. I, I think the series is good. I, I think, you know, and, and, I'm not real bright, but this is my assumption. I think, you know, if they get a few more manufacturers involved, I think it would be a, you know, is what they might be working towards. But I think it's all good. I mean, um, IndyCar, you know, Jay Fry's been good to work with. It's uh, it's it's a good series to work with. And, you know, and we definitely want to be involved in it. And We're trying to build up our team. It takes time. A lot of work. It's not easier. Everybody would do it, you know, so, uh, but we are enjoying it. I, I enjoy both, both ends of the spectrum, the old days. And, you know, it's, it's completely new and different than what I'm really used to in certain ways. Cause I mean, 
Um, we still run a lot of the 2000 cars for customers and they're really 2000 cars, but just from that branch to where we're at right now, it's huge. And, and I think Richard could attest to that. I mean, the, the 15 to 20 year difference, I mean, it's huge. Oh, it's night and day, isn't it? Oh, you know, yeah. But, and it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, p- people do complain about the co- these concepts of spec series, but there'd be no way that you could be within, I, 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 must, I don't know off the top of my head, the, the speed differential between yourselves and, and, and the Penske's at Indianapolis, but obviously it wasn't a huge amount. But if you put that as a percentage of total lap time and then compare that as a percentage to total budget, it's just a million miles apart. And if it was not a spec series, there's no way you'd be able to do that. Oh, I and agree. I, I think you have to have it these days. I mean, even Formula One's going more and more spec as much as, you know, it, and, and that is the, the, the key concept of Formula One is, is, is the, you know, the, uh, an individual series. But more and more components are being offered as, as being spec components. And I think you've got to do it because unless there's something differentiating that the fan can see and understand and experience. It's just a waste of money. Oh, I agree. Formula One teams who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a, on a widget that nobody can ever see. I mean, what's the point? You know, why do that? Right. I I agree. I mean, the the cost would be just exorbitant. It would be, you'd never be able to keep up. And plus it's, uh, not very fan friendly when two cars are just running away from everybody. Um, you know, so yeah, you, what you said is exactly right. I, I agree with that. All right. So um, Louise, Richard, do you have any more questions before we close out the interview segment? I see nothing. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner the only one more i have if considering the short quick turnaround you said like near less than 40 days you had a car ready for Indianapolis. what has been the grand takeaway from being back in in the indycar paddock on a regular as you mentioned it's been a long time that you worked in one or been heavily involved from a paddock perspective um i mean it we, we did the turnaround, but it, it wasn't easy. Trust me. I mean, Roy Wilkerson, you know, put a lot of work in. Luckily he had been around a lot of the wind tunnels and, and uh, you know, we, we have some good people working for us. We just don't have a, a overabundance of people, but we have good people that are very knowledgeable. And, and I think that's what really helped us be as close as we were when we come out of the box. Um, Granted, I wish we had about one more week. I think we 
really couldn't give them a heck of a shot because, you know, even a month after the, the 500 was over, we were still waiting on parts and pieces that, you know, we had ordered. And that's nobody's fault, but, you know, a lot of that's COVID and companies were slow and different things. But, you know, it just, uh, we'll, we'll be much more prepared next time around and it'll be even better. No, for sure. And I, and I read a piece that you have full attention to keeping RC and committed to RC for a 2022 run, which is, I think, good progress in my book to kind of give him another shot and also kind of build upon from this past month of May. I, I, I like that kid. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm partial. <laughs> you know, uh, that kid, he, he comes over and plays cards with us, you know. he'll have a he'll have a he'll have a brewski with me and play cards and sit there and and and, you know the the kid i like the kid he's he's very talented um good racer just a good all-around person and and he is uh he's my race driver mine me and stephanie both that's 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 who we want it's a good a good mindset for sure and it's all about feeling confidence and kind of showcasing that most certainly, I would totally wish you the best of luck heading into Indianapolis for the Grand Prix and also definitely in the 500 be something to keep an eye on, indeed. Well, I appreciate that. Yep. No, good luck, indeed. It's not, you know, it's not easy, but, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's got the dedication, you've got the right people around you, which it sounds like you do, then, uh, you know, there's, there's no reason why it can't be successful. Yeah, right. well, we're all willing to work hard. And, and like I said, I, we definitely appreciate all our fans. And I mean, Stephanie can speak for that. I mentioned just uh, we're open. We actually, you ask us when we ever leave. We don't. We live at the house at the top of the hill and then all of our shops down the valley. So I walk to work and I walk home. And then sometimes the laundry ferry I turn into and the dish ferry. But we make it through every day and we're still down at the shop we started this morning at seven and and we're here now and and we're going to be successful and and uh, work hard at it and we do appreciate everybody's support and uh and good people and i really appreciate both of you joining us tonight i know it's been a long day for you both um but but it's been so wonderful talking to you and i want to let our listeners know um top gun racing uh you guys have a facebook page uh, yes. you're, you're on Twitter. Um, you guys have a, a YouTube channel that's Grant King Racers that there's there's a series of really neat videos on there. Uh, Bill, where you're interviewing different folks or or showing yes. off some of the cars in the shop there. Um, right. So it's I'm sorry that there's a you know, if you go to the YouTube channel and the Grant King Racers, um, probably my favorite one out of there is the, the 15 minute trailer which has Donald Davidson, a lot of the, uh, I, I, I always get in trouble. I say old IndyCar drivers, the, the more experienced IndyCar drivers. Right? <laughs> I, I got in trouble and got chewed out by a couple of them for saying that. Um, <laughs> but uh, some of my, my more experienced IndyCar drivers that I'm friends with um, are on there from Johnny Parsons to Billy Englehart. And a lot of those people came through our doors, you know, back in the day, Wally Muskowski, Steve Stapp, Jackie Howerton, Chalky, um, you know, Dave Flick, anybody that was anybody pretty much came through these doors and worked here sometime or another. <laughs> All right. So make sure you check out that YouTube channel. Again, it's Grant King Racers on YouTube. 
Uh, there's a Grant King Racers Facebook page, uh, Top Gun Racing Facebook page, where you can see how you, how you can uh, donate some money, get your name on that IndyCar uh, before the race coming up in August. Uh, and I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, heck, maybe after the race, uh, uh, maybe, you know, I'll talk to you. Maybe we can get RC on the show to uh, talk about his performance, but uh, we'll talk about that later. But I really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, I wish you the best. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you go and um, okay. we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you for having us on. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, they were some wonderful folks right there weren't they oh, most, yeah. most indeed hear it from a different perspective considering when obviously when i was at the month of may in indianapolis we knew they had it they entered real quick it was curious to see how they were going to fare and when i was walking around gasoline alley and up Pit road it seems like they were taking a lot of time they wanted to make sure sure it may cost them some practice time but they want to make sure they have their best car ready when it mattered most and they and they certainly got better as the days went on. And during bump day, the last row shootout, they had one of the they had their best runs. So it'd be curious to see how in 2022 they fare because I think now that they have a year under their belt, uh, 500 experience under their belt, I think they can only go up from here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about. We've got about 20 minutes left of the show, so let's talk about the British Grand Prix. Some <laughs> some big controversy there. Um, a little bit Disaster. of a, a little bit of a what I would call a racing incident, but uh, my gosh, it's turned into an international affair. Uh, we've, got, <laughs> we've got where we've got even Red Bull threatening legal action, which is kind of obsessive yeah. to me. We ha- we've had uh, Lewis Hamilton subject to racist comments and whatnot on social media to the point where Facebook and Twitter had to take some action. So this and this thing is just really nuts. So Richard, man, talk us through this. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's sort of try and go into some sort of chronological order before we get carried away here. Um, so this was the first weekend when we had the sprint race or sprint qualifying race. Or it's got no, they're not allowed to call it a race, are they? Whatever it may be. But uh, normal qualifying that we consider to be on a Saturday afternoon was now Friday afternoon, and Hamilton took sprint pole or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, I don't think it goes down technically as a poll on the record books, does it? I think the no. r- winner of the race gets uh, the official yep. poll position. So, so yeah, Hamilton actually got poll. Um, and it was, you know, apart from that, I don't think there's any real shocks. Uh, George Russell managed to get it up into P8, I think it was. Fantastic achievement by George. And again, showing continual improvement there. And uh, going into the race, uh, Verstappen got ahead of Hamilton early in the race. And, um, you know, it was a sprint race. There's no pit stops. There's no tire changes, nothing like that. So, you know, the Red Bull had the pace. As soon as it got ahead of the Mercedes, that was it. You know, the Hamilton just sort of held position. Uh, Perez span off, uh, coming out of the um, Maggots Beckett um, chapel section. I think it was actually in Chapel Curve where he ran wide and actually did very well to keep it out the wall because that could have been a nasty, uh, nasty accident there. But... Uh, he was running at the back of the grid and they ended up retiring the car. Also running at the back of the pack and they retired the car there to, I guess that allows them to take it out of Park Fermi and uh, and work on it for the uh, Sunday race. Um, George Russell got a three-place penalty for, a, I mean, uh, the most innocuous tap on 
Carlos Sainz at the start of the race that I think you've ever seen. Yeah, it cost Carlos a couple of spots and he made most of them back, but it was, you know, without sort of giving away too much on the actual race itself, you know, it just again highlighted some of these petty and unnecessary penalties that are being handed out right now. Um, I really didn't think what George did was particularly bad. You know, it's the start of the race, the cars are heavy, he just missed the apex by a couple of feet and, and the science didn't really give him much room to work with and they they tapped. I mean, goodness me, it was, you know, oh, it was nothing. But anyway, three-place penalty for George and that sort of sums up his weekend, really. And as, as it has been for the last few races, you know, great qualifying, but just sort of like treads water during the races and, you know, drops back a couple of positions. But um, but let's move on to Sunday, which I guess was the, the real talking point. And uh, through winning the sprint race, uh, Verstappen was on pole. Hamilton was second. And, and Hamilton knows that his only opportunity really to, to do something is to get ahead of Verstappen at the start of the race. And off the line, Verstappen got ahead, uh, maintained that through the first complex and uh, going down the, uh, I think it's Wellington Strait, isn't it? They, uh, you know, Hamilton was all over the back of Verstappen and Verstappen did pretty well to defend because that is an opportunity to to overtake going uh, down to Brooklyn's corner there. But coming on to the old start-finish straight and um, into the Cops corner there, you know, Hamilton went to the, to the right-hand side of the track and, and Stafford moved to the right to defend the low, which is perfectly entitled to do. But that's not the racing line. The racing line is, is, is you know, what you'd call in, in NASCAR terms, diamonding the corner. You, you'd run... A, to the very far left, you'd clip the apex and you'd run to the left on the exit. So Verstappen, to take the racing line, moved back to the left-hand side of the track. And and Hamilton, to my mind, it was what I would call a, you know, half-hearted attempt. And then, you know, for other sports, it's a bit like, you know, I guess, your football. If you're going to make a half-hearted tackle in football, you're the one who's going to get hurt, not the guy you're tackling. You know, you've got to be committed. And unfortunately, it was the other way around here. And, and Hamilton sort of like tried to go up the inside, but didn't really. And just his car was just there in the way. Um, you know, you look from the onboard, Verstappen actually jinked to the left to try and avoid him. But Hamilton was in this sort of no man's land at the, you know, in the middle of the corner and they collided. And Verstappen had a big impact with the wall. It was 50, 51G. Um, Impact and it was a side impact as well. It wasn't head on, it was side. No, it was a massive hit. Yeah. You know, it, it rung his bell most definitely. Let's put it that way. And then, of course, we get the old, the whole theatrics. Oh, my goodness me. You know, Tom Cruise was there watching the race and he might as well have been running Mercedes and Red Bull because it just, it's becoming a shambles the way they're doing this. And I think we're seeing it more and more now with the FIA team radio being transmitted not just purely the team radio so Toto was defending Hamilton you know uh, Christian Harder wanted Hamilton executed on the spot um, you know and it was all it all got a little bit out of hand and what really annoyed me was how Toto Wolf was and the team and you know the team bosses are allowed to go and lobby the stewards while the stewards are making a decision I think that's completely wrong the stewards should be completely impartial, should be locked away, no access to the teams, no communication, and just allowed to make a decision purely on data and facts available to them. Not, you know, not to say no lobbying from the team principals. Because, you know, these guys have a lot of clout, you know, when they're, 
when they're in these positions. So I thought that was that was wrong uh, that they were allowed to do that. Now, the hand down for Hamilton was a 10 second penalty and which he served in his pit stop. And uh, at the time he was running second behind Leclerc, Leclerc managed to get past early in the uh, or at this at this point uh, where Hamilton and Verstappen collided. Now they said that uh, the oh, sorry, the race was stopped while you know Verstappen was sort of you know, taken to the medical center and the, the tire barriers were rebuilt. And and on the restart, you know, Leclerc held the lead and you know it was all pretty much stayed as quiet as you were. And then towards the end of the race, Hamilton was just, you know, on a charge. You know, he had that time gap there. And he, you know, the guy's, you know, arguably one of the best racers that ever lived. And, and there is certainly the Mercedes is certainly a more capable car than the Ferrari at the moment. And and he, he was able to pass Leclerc with a couple of laps to go. Now, Hamilton passed Leclerc exactly the same corner that he had the contact with uh, Verstappen. And if you look at, there is some overhead photos circling, and Leclerc and Verstappen are probably in identical parts of the track. And if anything, Leclerc is actually closer to the apex than Hamilton, than Verstappen. Now in Leclerc's instance, Hamilton is actually on the apex curve at Cops. Whereas, you know, when he collided with Verstappen, he was probably three quarters of a car width away from the apex. And even with, Leclerc being where he was, he still ran wide on the exit of the corner. And, um, you know, so if if Hamilton and Verstappen hadn't made contact, Verstappen would have gone off the track. You know, he would have been way over the uh, runoff curbs and, and almost the gravel there. So, uh, you know, Hamilton got the job done, won the race. And, you know, I was surprised by Hamilton's reaction. Hamilton would have known that Verstappen was at hospital having checkups. Now, pretty certain there's nothing majorly wrong, but still, you have been involved in an incident with one of your competitors, yes, a rival, but still a competitor, which you respect. They've always showed respect for each other. And this guy's in hospital. And you're stood there jumping around, you know, doing all this sort of stuff. And yeah, it's his home race in front of 100,000 people. I get that. But it certainly wouldn't have helped hurt to show a little bit of humility in that set of circumstances. Now, I personally would apportion the majority of the blame on, on Hamilton, but I guess difficult blame. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a racing incident. You know, there was no deliberate, there's no intent. You know, this wasn't like Senna and Prost back in the day, you know, where one driver deliberately drove into another, you know. Hamilton made a half-hearted move, which didn't come off. I think if Hamilton had actually gone for the apex on that corner and actually really tried to stick it in there deep, he would have made the move and, and got ahead. But he, it was very strange. It was just a, a sort of a, almost like, a you know, he was like trying to fake it and just put the car there and see what Verstappen didn't. Verstappen's going to shut the doors. Anybody would, you know, Hamilton would have done the same thing. So... I think it was bad judgment on Hamilton's fault. I don't think it was any intent. I don't think it was malicious. I don't think it was deliberate. Excuse me. But, uh, you know, and he, he got the penalty, which is justified, you know. Unfortunately, the, you know, you could argue that it, he didn't get the outcome in that he still won the race. Um, but, you know, it, 
it, it, it is what it is. You know, you can't, I don't think you can imp- imply a harsh penalty for that. Um, and as Michael Massey said, the, the, the race um, director, you know, penalties are not derived by or are not determined by the outcome. Deri- penalties are derived by the actual action. So if you, you know, you could have done this at Vale, the slowest corner on the track, or you could have done it at Stur- the fastest corner on, on, on the track. So, you know, you can't you can't differentiate that. Now, maybe you should. Maybe you could say, well, you know, that was stupid of Hamilton to do that there because you don't have small accidents in that corner. You know, if you go off there, you have a big one. And maybe that was it. You know, maybe that was that was an issue that he should have looked at that. I don't know. Um, that's not necessarily my my call there. But um, I think that one of the really sad things that came out of this, and Frank, you mentioned it earlier, is some of the abuse that Hamilton received post-race in social media. And the certain elements of society and certain elements of, of the media which question some of these actions that you know the drivers especially Hamilton has taken in terms of their um, protests for want of a better word and you know unfortunately the actions the reaction that he saw 100% justifies the actions that were being taken that they take to try and highlight these issues you know there is zero place for this in society and as sports and athletes they do have a very prominent role to play in society and to see this and the way they were treated was absolutely disgraceful and um you know i i i hope this is going to do something to stop it but it won't you know unfortunately that's society we live in these days and yeah, it, i mean i think sad. that's that's a huge you know problem with social media is yeah. that is that everybody has a voice and you can be pretty anonymous behind your keyboard and then you can get pretty nasty. Um, yeah. But, but, but oh, yeah. I mean, but people are going, you know, they're going to a place. There's no need to, you know, exactly. What, you know, what if you, if you make exactly what difference does it make? Yeah. If you, uh, yeah. if you disagree with Lewis's actions on the track, talk about Lewis's actions on the track. Exactly. It has nothing to do. Yeah. has nothing to do with Lewis's skin color or, or ethnicity 100%. or nationality. 100%. Exactly. Now, one thing that, you know, I, I, on a more of a sporting note, one thing that is really starting to irritate me is the, I'm going to be careful how I'll phrase this, maybe, the arrogance that um, Mercedes show. It just, it, it's just, they don't need to do this. How many times have we seen from Mercedes a press release where like, Oh well, we were two laps away from not finishing the race and having to. Retire. This was about to happen, and that was about to happen, and this was about to go wrong. You know, they came up with this whole thing of, oh well, you know, if if the red flag hadn't happened after after Lewis and Max came together, we'd have, you know we would have had to retire Hamilton's car because of the damage. Well, they didn't show that on TV. All they showed on TV was the um, taping up one of the uh, the the um, tire temperature. Uh, camera that's mounted on the inside end plate of the front wing. Now, if that's going to cause you to retire from the race, you've got bigger problems than than, than most of the other teams. But it's just this drama that they try to create, which just doesn't need to be created. And it's just like they're trying to turn it into, you know, a reality TV show almost. And it's just pathetic. 
It really is. It, you know, it just leaves a nasty taste in the mouth because they're trying to make it. You know, they can have a one, you know, Mercedes can have a one, two, win by 30 seconds. And in their race debrief, it's like, oh, well, that was a close call. You know, no, it wasn't. You had that under control. You were managing the race perfectly. Don't come up with that crap. You know, just acknowledge that you have one of the best teams out there and that you're good at what you do. Don't create stuff that doesn't need to be created. It's it's ridiculous. It really it, it is. is. It really but, is. So, well, good rundown, Richard. So, uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, Lewis taking a win and Max walking away with zero points tightens up the championship. No, battle. no, no. Hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Your stat, your stat of the week. Stat of the week. Is the only driver in Formula One history to score a point and not complete a lap of a race. He's got three points for winning the sprint race, but didn't get any, didn't complete a lap of the race. So he scored three points from the weekend, but didn't complete a lap during the Grand Prix, technically. There you go. So he didn't, there you go. Sorry, moving on. That's a stat that wouldn't have been possible before the sprint race. Exactly. I'll say Bob Bruce, the British Grand Prix disaster for rest. I mentioned for Red Bull Racing because now the constructors yeah. is completely tightened up. Paris could not find, could not move his way towards the field. The red flag was supposed to help him. It barely did anything. But what the only thing he was able to do is stop Mercedes getting that extra bonus point for fastest lap. Yeah, Perez has had a couple of good weeks, hasn't he? And then something just didn't click at Silverstone. You know, he was off all weekend. And well, the problem for Perez, know, the problem for Perez at Silverstone was the fact that people kept mistaking him for Tom Cruise, which <laughs> just totally, totally I wrecked mean, his concentration. Or the, or the fact that I he have, didn't drove Silverstone at all last year. Yeah. I have the same. I I have the same problem with the Tom Cruise look at that. Sure, but, sure. Know, <laughs> yeah. But no, but it, it, you know, in all seriousness, you know, they're getting up to this summer break. And yeah, Perez has won an Azerbaijan, which was, you know, right place, right time. But mm, I wonder if if they're not going to be looking at Gasly or even George Russell if, if Mercedes procrastinate too long. Because um, Perez hasn't, he's had a couple of good races, but so did Alex Albon. You know, he's. Is Perez a massive step up? Mm, I, I I don't know. If you have an option to put a Gasly in there who's matured a lot in the last two or three years, won a race in the same way that Perez did, um, had probably the same number of podiums. Um, you know, I, I, I think Perez is going to be looking over his shoulder and I think he needs a good run in between now and the, and the uh, summer break. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we only got a few minutes left, so let's let's talk about this NASCAR race because we had our 13th different winner of the year being uh, Mr. Eric Amarola, who was the first guy in a Stuart Haas car to win this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't Harvick. So, uh, but this, you know, with uh, four races before the end of the regular season, uh, 13 winners, uh, you know, three more winners, and if one of them in Harvick, he's out of the playoffs. Yeah, but Amarola could be and still be in trouble. Say, yeah, he could still drop below top thirty points. Yeah, no, not just that, but depending if Denny Hamlin wins this regular season championship, which I still stand that all Hamlin needs is just two repeat winners, and he'll be in by points no matter if he wins the regular season title or not. Which I 
That's what I was trying to explain on Twitter. We got a couple people that I will not name names of one particular that I'm in dire with. That is like, yeah, I'm talking about him points, not regular season champion Denny Hamlin, because as I know the regular season gets in no matter what. Yeah, but, which is interesting. He could theoretically, if he maintains the points lead, right, and we have three more winners, he could he he could he, he could, he, he'd bump a race winner out. Yeah. Or, but if he drops to say Kyle Larson takes the points lead, which could certainly happen, um, you know, Danny could be right there near the top of the points and not make the chase based on if they have 13 winners or, or, or three more winners rather. So yeah, it's all kind of, uh, I mean, on the outset, Hamlin is actually quite safe, but there are a couple of weird circumstances that, that could happen that, that could knock him out. Yeah, all you just need is two repeat winners, and he'll be safely in no matter what. Absolutely, yeah. So he he needs to root for Kyle Busch or, or Kyle, Kyle Larson or Truex. Because or, we or you know, you know road, what Hamlin, road courses. You know what Hamlin could do? He could just win a damn race. I'm just <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. That would Imagine work. That. that would that would work too. <laughs> Yeah, that'll certainly help. But the race had a slew of problems at the very beginning that, as people know by now, the race ended eight laps short because of the darkness due to the two hour near two hour red flag, which the either or even if you whether or not you started the race at 10 a.m. Eastern or 3 p.m., you still were going to have some delays because of the the what would turn number one having that little problem with trying to dry up. That I that is the name is the term is not clicking for me right now. The sewage, I think it was, or drainage. So either or, you probably you you've been better off. Yeah, weepers. Thank you. Right. And then when they dropped the green flag, I knew it's like wait a minute, they're like they're actually gonna run this thing. There were some drops in the camera lens. Like okay, maybe this looks gonna be DC. We got no Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr. Their shot of winning were gone on lap six because the rain poured in. Kyle Busch was done. He was angry at the officials flipping him off, running over the pace car to the point they had to get a backup pace car out. Truex was able to rally back to get a top 20 out of that ordeal without a bumper necessarily or a little bit of the bumper. It shows you how strong the car was, but Amarillo was definitely a right place, right time winner. First non-super speedway win of his career in the cup level and for a grand while as well on across the national touring board. But this is the kind of run that's probably going to keep him around another year in that 10 car because there were talks on social media. It's like they're saying, well, Amarola is out. I don't, they don't see Amarola in that 10 car. Well, a win could change that no matter the circumstances, but time will ultimately tell. Penske's had a strong race. Penske's probably were the best all-around cars. Logano had to overcome a two-lot penalty for fixing a safety issue under the red flag and also during the yellow. He rallied back. Koslowski, who's now officially a Roush driver in 2022, co-owner of that. We'll talk about this some other time. They had great runs, but at the end of the day, it's really shuffled the whole entire playoff. The last two weeks with Kurt Busch and Almirola winning. Yes, it really has changed the the landscape of the playoffs so and we will have plenty of time to discuss that next week because uh uh there'll be no major racing this coming weekend 
um, with the, uh, you know, with the Olympics going on. So uh, next week we could delve into all those chase things, but this week we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Louise. And I want to thank you, Richard. And I want to thank our guests, Stephanie and Bill Throckmorton for coming on. And again, uh, look them up on social media, Top Gun Racing. And I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and Google Podcast. And I want to thank you folks for listening to us. But until next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-B-Z-O-C-O-M. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website.